The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Good morning. Excited to be here with you all. I want to thank PCC for allowing me the opportunity to speak to all of you bright, shiny students this morning. Uh, this, is, this is something I've been looking forward to. We just had missions conference. I was here for missions conference and went home then came back. So my wife thinks that I'm actually going to rent a house here. Uh, I love missions conference. Not just because I'm a missionary. I love missions conference. Because, I'll be honest, the missionaries that were here, these are amazing people. Who, who do amazing work for the Lord all over the world, and you get the opportunity to interact with them, it's just, for me, it's a highlight. And the whole concept of missions, now I know what everybody thinks, the whole concept of missions conference is to raise money for missions. And when missions conference come along, we get a sudden ache in our wallet. But that's not really true. The whole point of missions conference is to get you to lift up your eyes and to look on the fields, to see them white unto harvest. And you think you had enough emissions, but they invited a missionary back, so you're going to get more missions today. I'm here to talk to you about missions. And you're supposed to really do the invitation at the end, but I'll tell you right now, my prayer and my hope, ever since I was invited here, was, Lord, during this 30 minutes that I have here, Speak to the hearts of these students. Light within their heart a fire for missions. I'm praying that this morning, in the next 30 minutes, many of you will hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart right now saying, I want you to come to the mission field. So my home church is Mansfield Baptist Temple in Mansfield, Ohio. You probably don't know of my home church, but my pastor was Dr. Dale Adkins. Uh, and so I was pretty mad at PCC when you guys stole him away from us, actually. But, but when I was sitting there in our church on a Wednesday night and Al Humble was preaching, God called me to the mission field, called me to go to Israel. I heard God's voice that day. I knew it was God. I knew in a moment that God wanted me to go to the mission field. And I'm praying that this morning some of you will say, there was a day in chapel and some weird missionary was talking and God spoke to my heart. I'm praying that that will be that day for you. Now, I just heard the sound of, of everybody who's not a missionary shutting off, saying, oh, this is for missions majors. No, it's not just for missions majors. Okay, so all of you ministry majors, all you pastoral majors, all you youth majors, all you other folks, look, you can be pastoral, you can be youth overseas as well. So this is for you too. But it's not just for ministry majors. I want to talk to everybody here. The truth of the matter is the greatest number of people going to the mission field with our organization are not ministry majors. They're other majors. In fact, I, I don't know, I'm not sure I should tell you this, but at our mission board, the president of our board, Ed Frampton, he was a business major. The second guy at our board, John Lawrence, he was a nursing major. Yeah, you nursing students, you're, you don't get off. Uh, I was an education major. We probably need a missions major at our board. I don't know. Anyway, so God is using 
people from all different directions to serve on the foreign field. Young people, God can use you on the mission field. God can use your gifts over there. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. But instead of just having the typical missionary praise for a moment and then we go on to the next part, in the middle of my prayer I'm going to stop and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I can't make you pray with me. But I'm going to challenge you to pray with me. And I'm going to challenge you to pray, God, speak to me this morning about missions. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and Lord, the world is in chaos and you are working. We see your hand moving all over the world. We see prophecies thousands of years ago prophesied by your prophets coming true before our eyes today. The Spirit of God is moving. Lord, I pray that you'd move here in this place, in this hour. Lord, I pray that you would use the message this morning, that you'd speak to our hearts through the word of God. More than that, Lord, I pray that you'd work on the hearts of these students. Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts. I don't have any doubt that you will work. God, help us to open our hearts to hear what you've got. Now, young people, if you will pray with me, Father, speak to my heart. There's a world that's lost and dying. God, show me what part I ought to play in getting the gospel to a lost world. Father, we ask for your blessing in this service. Lord, while we sit here, we know that there are men in a desperate fight for their lives in Israel today. And God, we pray for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for innocent civilians on both sides who are in grave danger because of this conflict. Lord, do your work over there and here as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As Pastor mentioned, I, I served for 14 years in Moscow and then for three years in Tel Aviv and then also in Ukraine. And so I've, I have a lot of friends who are in dangerous places right now. In, in Israel right now, I, I'm sure you know, I'm not going to give you the news. I hope you know the news. There's a, a, a very, very difficult battle going on right now in the Gaza Strip. There is as difficult a fighting as, as, as I can imagine going on right now. Many men engaged in a fight for their lives in house, street by street, house by house fighting. Um, three, of the young, three of the men that are there are from our church in Tel Aviv. Uh, you say, are they right at the front? I have no idea where they're at. They were called up and sent, and they, they don't tell us where they went. But there's a, there's a great crisis going on there. I, I hope that you will pray for Israel. But I want to talk to you about another crisis that happened in Israel a long time ago. Um, many years ago, there was, uh, during New Testament times, there was a crisis in Israel. There's usually a crisis in Israel. It's not a new thing. Uh, it often happens. And, and back in those days... There, there was a crisis in Israel, in Judea, where there was a great famine. Now, famine is not something that we as Americans know much about, okay? The truth of the matter is, I don't know if any of us have ever been hungry in our lives. Now, we say we're hungry all the time. We say, wow, I'm hungry, but that's not really hunger. That's, I feel like putting something in my mouth and eating. 
which is really different than genuine hunger, okay? We all probably ate a little while ago and we probably can't wait for the missionary to quit talking so we can go back out and eat again. But real hunger, yeah, we don't much experience that. If you look in the scriptures, you see that famine can drive people to ungodly, to, to links that they would never have believed that they would go to. And so at, at this time, during New Testament times, there was a great famine in Judea, in the land of Israel, and the church responded to that at that time. The, the church decided that they needed to get involved and help. Now, we're going to talk more about that. Uh, Paul, so... So when they heard there was a, a famine and a great need in Israel, then the churches all around the rest, the churches that had been planted mostly by Paul on his missionary journeys, so throughout Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, and, and then over into Greece, uh, northern part was Macedonia, the southern part was called Achaia at that time. Uh, the churches all through that area said, we need to send help to our brothers and sisters back over there in Judea, back in Israel. And so Paul sat down and he began to write letters to all the churches and say, hey, our brothers and sisters back in Israel are in great need. Won't you help? Won't you be willing to do something? Will you be, so we're going to take up a collection. We're going to do a love offering. And I'm going to come around from church to church and pick it up. And then we'll take it to them to help them. And so that was the plan. To, to do this thing. And so Paul wrote these letters. You can read about that in Acts chapter 11. And, and they had this plan to try to relieve the great suffering of the Jewish people there in Israel. Now today there is not an... There's not a famine of bread in Israel. The people in Israel have sufficient food to eat. But there is a famine in the land. Back over in Amos chapter 8, it says this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I'll send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. The Bible prophesied that there was a coming day when there would be a great famine in the land of Israel. Not a famine of food, but a famine of the word of God. Now, that's a little bit amazing because the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Okay? A lot of people wonder, well, what does that exactly mean? Don't have time to really go there right now. But they were chosen by God to carry out his plan on the earth. They're God's chosen people, and they're the people through whom we got the word of God. God gave the scriptures through the Jewish people. By the way, it was through the Jewish scribes that the word of God was then preserved. Through that in God's providence. And it was through the Jewish, the Jewish people that God sent Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, and, and so the Jewish people are, are central. And you'd say, well, if they're the ones through whom we got the word of God, how can there be a famine of the word of God among the Jewish people? And yet, there is. The Jewish people do not know the word of God. Though it was given through them, they don't read. Now, when I was living in Israel, all the time you'd see religious guys going around reading this small black book. And I was like, I wonder what they're reading. Maybe they're reading the Old Testament. Maybe they're reading the Jewish scriptures. And I often would stop and say, what are you reading? Not the word of God. They're reading the traditions of the rabbis. The religion of Judaism, I thought, was the religion of the Old Testament. I was wrong. The religion of Judaism is a religion of the rabbi's traditions. It's founded on that. And it's this rabbinical tradition that is the controlling thing. And that's the thing. They are great experts on rabbinic writings, rabbinic traditions, on the Talmud, on the Mishnah, and know almost nothing of the Word of God. There's a famine today 
of the word of God among the Jewish people. If you go to Israel, most of the Jewish people there don't know the word of God. If you, if you talk to Jewish people in America, by the way, uh, Israel and America, between the two of them, they're about equal in the number of Jewish people. Between these two peoples, we have about 80% of all the Jews live either in Israel or America. You go here in America, you talk to Jewish people. What, well, do you know what the word of God says? No, they have no idea what the word of God says. There's a famine of the word of God among the Jewish people. These people, God's chosen people, are perishing. Look, if you take a third grade boy in a good Baptist church that has a good Sunday school teacher, I'm not exaggerating, he will know more of the word of God than a Jewish person does. They don't know their own scriptures. They've been taught that Jesus has nothing to do with the Jewish people, that he was a false prophet. And the Jewish people, God's chosen people, are perishing. They live here right among us. Over a thousand of them here in Pensacola. And they're perishing without Christ, without hope. And the church is doing almost nothing to reach them. We're going to the ends of the world to reach everybody, but for some reason we have horribly neglected evangelizing the Jewish people. There are, over, there are 10 cities in America with over 100,000 Jewish people. We desperately need to get the word of God to them. Young people, I want to talk to you about you. I want to know what is God going to do with your life? You know, we live in a country where most people out there are just pursuing, look, I just want to have a nice life. That's all I want. I'm going to get a nice education so I can get a nice job, so I can have a nice salary, so I can attract a, a nice wife, so I can build a nice house, have a nice car, and live a nice life. That's my life's ambition. But that's why we have Missions Conference, so that you'll lift up your eyes. Two things I want to say to you about lifting up your eyes. Number one, see the fields. See the Jewish people perishing. Not just the Jewish people. People from all over the world. We had all these missionaries. I think we had like 35 different missionaries in here. Every one of those fields is so needy. Can we sit here? Look, in the Bible times when there was a famine, the churches didn't say, huh, tough to be them. Sorry, they're hungry. God bless. Oh, be warmed and filled. That's not what the church did. The church said, if our brothers are in need, we have to do something to help them. We've got to get involved. If you heard that your brothers and sisters over in the next state or in another country were going hungry, would you do anything about it? See, I think you would. I don't think you'd be up. I don't think you'd say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's their issue, not my, I don't care. What do I, yeah, I don't have anything to do. I'm fine. You wouldn't do that. You would care and you would take steps to help them. And the truth of the matter is, is people around the world are perishing. What are you going to do? What is God calling you to do about that? That's the question I want to put before you today. Because the, the Jewish people around the world and other people around the world are lost and perishing. And folks, the world's not going to take the gospel to them. If you and I don't, nobody will. And they'll have no hope. I want to say something to you. When I was in your place, when I was in Bible college, my thought was, 
look, I can't do anything. I'm just a dumb student. I don't have 20 bucks. I don't have the ability. You know, you've traveled all over the world. You've done all these things. I couldn't do that. And I'd like to say to you, yeah, you're right. You can't. But young people, you and God can. If you will put yourself in the hands of God, if you'll say, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. Wherever you send, I'll go. God, I'm yours, blank check, you tell me I'll do it. You have no idea how God could use you. Is God speaking to your heart today? Back in this day, Paul wrote all these letters to all these churches. And then he started the process. He started in Asia Minor, and he began to go church to church, collecting up the love offerings, going church to church. Now, if we, if we read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he had told the Corinthians, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 16, he had already written to them earlier and told them. He said, he writes in, in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the, the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. You guys do the same thing. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality, your generosity unto Jerusalem. And so, so he writes and he says, now here's the plan, guys. We're, gonna, we're taking up this big loft offering to help the, 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 the hungry, the needy Jewish people our, our brothers and sisters in the Lord back in Judea, the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians there. And he said, so, so here's the deal. Every Sunday when you gather, take up a blow of offering and take it up, take it up, take it up, and then I'm going to come by and do it. Now, the next part, I can't show you the verse in Scripture where it says they did this, but we know from other verses that they did do this. The Corinthians wrote back to Paul. Now, I have to give you a little bit of geographical information here. Down in the southern part of what we now call Greece was Achaia, and in Achaia, there was a church there at Corinth. We're talking about the Corinthians. And I'm not saying they were super wealthy, but they were doing okay. They were getting along. They were doing fine. Okay. Now, up in the northern part of the country, which at that time was called Macedonia, okay, in the northern part of Greece, was Macedonia. So we're talking like uh, the Philippians and the Thessalonians and, and those guys. They're up there. That church was not doing okay. Oh, it was tough. They were, they were terribly poor. They, were, they could barely feed themselves. They were in desperate straits, and they were being horribly persecuted. So you had up here a church that's in poverty and persecution, and down here a church that's doing all right, okay? And so he writes to the Corinthians, and he says, look, I'm coming around, I'm coming around to all the churches, and I'm going to come, and, and I'm going to collect the, the offering that you have. And the Corinthians wrote back to him and said, we got this. Paul, we got it covered. You can depend on us, Paul. We're going to do this. Don't worry about it. Got it covered. And so they, they sent back and assured Paul that everything would be great. And, and so if you look back over into 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, Paul is writing about this same thing. And he says, in verse 1, he says, For as touching the ministering of the saints, this love offering, it's superfluous for me to write to you. You guys know about it a long time. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago. And your zeal hath provoked many, very many. He said, look, guys, he's writing to, to, the, to the Corinthians now. He's in Macedonia. He's already on his trip collecting up all these offerings. He gets to Macedonia. He's writing to the Corinthians. He said, guys, look, you guys, a year ago you told me, we got this. We're on this. You can depend on us. When you get here, Paul, you're going to be so impressed. And so 
he says, so everywhere I go, I'm going to Galatia, I'm going, I'm, I'm going, probably went through Troas, now I'm in Macedonia, and he said, everywhere I go, I'm telling everybody, hey man, those guys down in Corinth, they're on it. Those, those guys down in Achaia, they, they're doing it, they've gotten, can't wait to see what they've got, because they're really on top of things. Look at the next verse, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 3. He says, yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf. That as I said, he might be ready. Paul's in Macedonia. Next stop, Corinth. To get this big offering that they promised. <coughs> and there in Macedonia, he gets the word. They haven't done anything. A year ago, they promised, yeah, we're on it. We're going to take care of all of this. And now he's one stop away and he gets word. Uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't do anything. Paul's like, What? I've been going everywhere saying, guys, everybody, help out, help out. By the way, the guys in court, they're on top of it, they're doing it. And now here I am one stop from you guys, and I find out you've done nothing. You've completely dropped the ball, okay? Uh, look, look back in, in, in 2 Corinthians 9 again. He says, yet I've sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me. Maybe these guys from Macedonia, I've been telling them how great you were doing. If they come with me and then they find you unprepared, we, that is not to say ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, wherever you had noticed before, <coughs> that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. He said, look, I just heard you haven't done anything. So now I'm sending guys, I'm sending messengers to you saying, get it done. It's time to get it done. Uh, chapter, 11, chapter 8, verse 11 says, uh, says, now therefore, so this is King James. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the modern English in a minute. Now therefore, perform the doing of it. For as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. That's the King James version. The regular, the, the, the 2023 version is, guys, Enough talk. Do it. Come on. What are you doing? Get on it. You promised that you were going to do this, and you've done nothing. I don't think Paul's happy. You know, I look at the Corinthians. Not a very pretty picture, is it? Boy, they had great intentions. They spoke great flowing words. We've got this. We're going to do it. And completely dropped the ball. Now, before we just beat up on the Corinthians, I have to tell you, there, there have been times I've been a Corinthian. There have been times that God spoke to me. I was like, oh yeah, God, I'm on it. God, I'll do it. God, I'm... And completely dropped the ball. Do you ever do that? Anybody here ever been a Corinthian? Were you ever in church? Maybe Dr. Atkins preached. Maybe, maybe Pastor Redland preached. Maybe your home pastor. And God spoke to your heart. Maybe you came forward and knelt at the altar. Maybe, maybe just in your chair. But you said, God, I know you're speaking to me. <clears throat> maybe God was saying, you need to get that sin out of your life. Maybe God was saying, you need to serve me with your whole heart. You need to get in the Bible reading and prayer like you, you be, begin to walk with me as you should. Maybe God was calling you to the ministry. Just maybe God was calling you to the mission field. And you bowed your head because you heard the voice of God. And you said, Lord, yes. 
Lord, I'll do that. And you promised God you were going to do that. Remember that day? And then, well, church ended. And everybody got up and left, and we went to lunch. And then after lunch, there was a ball game. And then another day went by, and another week went by, and I remembered that I was told God I was going to, but like a lot of stuff happened, and some problems came up, and there were some tests to take, and life happened, and all of a sudden, what I promised, you know, God spoke to me, and I made these promises. I just dropped it. So there have been times in my life I've done that. And I'm going to guess that I'm not the only one here that's been like that. All of us have probably had a moment in our life when we've been Corinthians where God spoke to us and we said yes and then just forgot. Just dropped the ball. I don't want to be a Corinthian. Can I tell you something? I want to be a Macedonian. You say, what about Macedonians? Look at these Macedonians. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I love this passage of scripture. This is one of my favorite places. Look what it says. It says, moreover, brethren, we do ye to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. I love this, we do you to wit. That means we want you to know, but, but I really want to wake up and say, my wife, wife, I do you to wit that today the weather is going to be, anyway, uh, it just sounds cool. Brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Paul says, he says, folks, I want to tell you about what God is doing there in Macedonia. Verse 2 says, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. That's a weird verse. I mean, that's just a very strange verse. You say, why is it strange? Because it's full of contradiction. Okay, so let's stop and think about this. Suppose I told you, suppose we had an artist here. I am not an artist. Uh, but so I know there are some amazing artists here. Suppose we had one of these artists up here, and while I was preaching, I said, I want you to draw a picture on an easel here. I want you to take your, your amazing gifts and, and draw a picture of the Macedonian that is in a great trial of affliction and suffering deep poverty. And so, so our artist begins to draw this picture here of this person who's in deep poverty, suffering this great trial of, what's the picture look like? What, how would you draw that picture? I see somebody that's kind of bowed down under the weight of it. They're probably like skinny and emaciated. Maybe their hands are trembling. Their face is drawn. There's this deep sadness, dark, dark, dark circles. I mean, there's this picture of sorrow and, and of pain and of poverty there, right? But that's not what the verse says. That's what's crazy about this verse. Because we see great trial of affliction and, and deep poverty... But listen to the whole verse. It's kind of crazy. It says, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Hold it. Abundance of joy? And their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality, of their generosity. So when we think affliction and poverty, we think sadness. But, God, but, but, but Paul writes, no, they're overflowing with joy and with generosity. Well, that's not how we probably would have drawn the picture. That's kind of surprising to me, okay? And then he tells about what they did. He, he, look, verse 3. He says, for to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. What does it mean to their power? It means they did as much as they could. Okay, to their power means they, they did all they could. Okay? So, you know, like, you know, the teachers tell you, you know what, just do your best. Do, do the best you can. Do all you can. They did all they could, but then they didn't stop. For their, their power, I bear record yet, and beyond their power. How do you do beyond your power? 
How do you do more than you can? I'm not sure. I think maybe only by faith. Okay? These people in this affliction and poverty were filled with joy, full of generosity, doing all they could do, doing more than they could do. Now the next verse gets stranger. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Okay, how many of you have been in a church service where the people of the church were saying to the pastor, please take my offering. You've got to, I beg of you to take my offering. Anybody ever have to beg your preacher to take an offering before? I mean, I've never seen that happen in my life. Okay, normally the preacher's all, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the pastor's begging, please give money, we need money. But I've never seen the people begging to give, but that's what this verse says. They were praying with much entreaty. They were begging Paul that he would receive the gift. Now, I don't know exactly how this played, but here's what I think happened. I think when Paul was writing his letters, he wrote a letter, you know, to, to, to the churches in Galatia. He probably wrote one to Ephesus, probably one to Troas. And then he got to Macedonia and he thought about Philippi and he was like, how can I ask them to give? They're so poor. They're under terrible pressure. I can't even, I can't ask them to give to this. Then again, if I don't ask them, then I'm going to leave that. I can't leave them out either. Okay, I'll write them this like letter and kind of like, okay, I'll give you, maybe they can give some little symbolic thing and they'll, that'll make them feel good. Okay, and then Paul arrives there and says, hey, were you guys able to do something to help with this offering? And they're like, Paul, sit down. And they start hauling it in. I mean, I don't even know what they were hauling, but they start hauling it in. And Paul's like, whoa, stop. Nope, nope, nope. That, that's too, you guys cannot afford that. I know you can't. Just stop. You guys, you've got to keep that. And they were praying him with much entreaty. No, Paul, you've got to take it. You have to take it. We've given it to the Lord. You must take the offering. And, and so he, they had to beg of Paul to take the offering that they had given and this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and us to the will of God. And not only were they generous and gave more than they could and begged Paul to take it, but they said, we'll give ourselves. I love the Macedonians. Young people, most Christians are Corinthians. Most of us have great intentions and we talk a big talk, but we never do it. But God's looking for some Macedonians, some people who will say, I'm all in. I'll give it all. I'll do whatever it takes to reach the world. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.